All right. We're, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 5. Now, if you're thinking we've been making it through 2 Timothy at a pretty fast rate, that is true. But don't worry, for chapter 4, we'll be slowing down and spending a couple weeks in it. So uh, we'll just be doing five verses tonight, as opposed to, I think, the first week we did all of chapter 1. And it took us two weeks to do chapter 2. So, yeah. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll begin reading from verse 1. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, to preach the word. Be ready in good seasons and in bad seasons. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with complete patience and with careful instruction. For there will be a time when they will not tolerate sound teaching, but they will heap up for themselves teachers according to their own desires, because they feel itching in their ears. And then they will turn their ears away from the truth and in towards myths. As for you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's pray briefly. Fathers, we open your word together tonight. I pray that you would help us to see it, to understand it, to hear it, and to obey it, Lord. That we would be not just those who hear your word, but we would be also doers of your word. I pray that you would shape us and mold us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been studying First and Second Timothy under the big theme of the healthy church. And so if you think about the last couple of weeks that we've been in Second Timothy, we could say that part of what a healthy church has to do is it has to have solid theology that then is carried out from the pulpit to the members. It's kind of a big theme over the last say, three or four weeks that we've been in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy as kind of his last address to him. And he says, sound doctrine, rebuke the false teachers, charge people to live faithfully, to hold fast to true teaching. And uh, for those people, the hearers, make sure that you're not prone to sin, that they flee from sin and flee from temptation. And you yourselves, you should rebuke false teachers. And so we've seen kind of all those dynamics at play so far in 2 Timothy. And all of that is, is required for a church to be healthy. If any of those things isn't happening or doesn't happen appropriately, then churches begin not at first to collapse, but begin slowly to erode over time. And so one of the marks of a, a healthy church that we're going to be looking at this week in particular is the preaching of the word. What does it mean for a pastor to j- discharge his duty, as Paul says to Timothy, to preach the word? And then, well, what if you're not a pastor? What does it mean for you to receive the discharge of the, the preached word? So before I get into what all that is and how it should function, uh, last week, I think it's last week, we published a blog on the, on the Rua Church website that talks about the church. What is the church? What is a true church? What is a healthy church? Uh, and, and how do we know that we're in a church that is faithful to the word of God? What is the church by its nature? There's three marks that I talked about in that blog. They're not unique to me. They're things that I've learned from others as well. And uh, you can define the term church in a number of ways. And so if we're talking about the healthy church in our study of 2 Timothy, we have to have different categories in mind. Okay? So one thing we could think of with regards to a church is we could think about the, the people of God in general in all the world throughout all time. That could rightly be called the church of God. 
So you could go back into the Old Testament and refer to Israel as the church. Broadly speaking, they're the people of God in the Old Testament. Similarly, as you get to uh, the church, as you talk about the church for the first 2,000 years of church history, we could say that that is also the church. Because not, not because they're living today or you could go to the building that they worship at, but because they're the people of God, although they've passed away and are now awaiting the final resurrection. And so we could speak of the church in that sense. That, that would be all the elect of God throughout all time. We could also speak about the church as either true or false. So a true church does three things that is kind of well-defined by the reformers. Uh, a church must guard the sacraments, meaning it must uh, faithfully administer the Lord's Supper and baptism. A true church must. Uh, a true church must exercise church discipline, uh, which is to say that it doesn't just give the sacraments rightly, but it, it says who is in and who is out of the church. And then a true church must also preach the gospel. That's one of the marks of the church, particularly at the time of the Reformation. The reformers would claim that the reason the Reformed church is not an apostate body is because they're founded on the true preaching of the word of God. They're in line with the preaching of the apostles, whereas Rome is not in line with the preaching of the apostles. So that would be the difference between a true and a false church. A true church has all those marks. And we talk about a healthy church, we can get even more nuanced than that. And so as we turn our attention to at least the text tonight, when I'm talking about the preaching of the word, or I, th and I think Paul is talking about the preaching of the word, he's not just saying, make sure you have the true gospel. I think he's saying at least that. that. That's what you need for a true church to be present. But I think Paul's instructions to Timothy is not just how do you have a true church, it's how do you have a healthy church. Which is to say, at the very least, you have to have the true gospel, but you should also have more than just the gospel. And don't hear me say that the gospel is just something small. What I mean is the gospel is a basic thing upon which much other instruction is built upon. So, if, for example, if you look at the text, uh, after Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, and then he's going to go on to define what he means when he says preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to correct, to rebuke, to encourage, with complete patience and careful instruction. Now, at the very least, we can say he's not at that point talking only about making sure you have the gospel right, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his substitutionary atonement for sinners. It's more than that that's going on in the preaching of the word. Timothy's job is to uh, be ready in good situations and in bad situations to correct uh, false teaching, to rebuke false teachers, to encourage those who are in the midst of false teaching or maybe are weak in themselves. Also, he's supposed to in, uh, encourage, but he's supposed to do all of those things with patience and with careful instruction. And so there's more, I think, that Paul's instructing Timothy to do in the preaching of the word than just getting the gospel right. He's also talking about how do you apply this gospel, how do you apply the full counsel of God's word to the people of God. And I think that is a mark of what a healthy church is. So in order to have a true church, you need the gospel there. Okay? In some, some way, shape, or form, the gospel must be present. In order to have a healthy church, you need the full counsel of God into the lives of God's people. Because there's some things that are built on the gospel, but the gospel doesn't explicitly address. Now, I want you to hold this idea in your mind for a moment, because I'm going to get back into the argument of the text. But you have to think about that. Just because you hear and understand the gospel doesn't mean you know every instance of what Christian wisdom looks like. Just because you hear and understand the gospel doesn't mean you know exactly what it means to define and worship a triune God. 
Just because you know and can, uh, and can receive the gospel doesn't mean you know how to love your spouse as the, as the scriptures command you to. There's lots of other instructions built upon the foundation of God's grace to us in the gospel, but we would say those are what we call gospel entailments. So there are things that the gospel offers to us, uh, which are things that we receive, and there are things which the gospel expects of us, such as obedience and faithfulness and, and right and true worship of God, which are not in and of themselves, rightly speaking, the gospel. And so if you have a church that only has the gospel and nothing else, you will have a true church, but you will have an anemic church. You will have ultimately an unhealthy church. So that's the idea that I want you to hold in your mind. Now, as we look at the text, let's, let's just hear Paul's tone as he's going to instruct Timothy here. Remember the context? Uh, in chapter 3, we saw that uh, Timothy is supposed to rebuke the false teachers, and, and Paul is using no, no difficult to understand commands. There's these false teachers. They're going after people in your church. You need to address them. Okay? And so here he goes uh, in verse 1. I solemnly charge you. Depending on what translation you have, you'll have various iterations of that kind of thing. Um, or he might say, I, before God and of Christ Jesus, and at the end of verse 1, he'll say, I solemnly charge you, something like that. But all translations have that solemnly, or I seriously, or I earnestly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. So before the Father and the Son, and the Son who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, so Christ is going to come back at the end of the ages, the scriptures clearly teach this, and then he will appear and his kingdom with him in its consummate glory. And at that time, he will judge both the living and the dead. And so Paul's saying, in light of all of that reality, Timothy, preach the word. So think about <laughs> who is Timothy obligated to preach the word to? He's, he's obligated to preach to people, to the people he's responsible for. But he's, he's obligated by God to do that. Which is another way, or we should think about it like this. It's another way of saying what James says, not all of you should aspire to be teachers because the one who teaches will be judged more strictly. Uh, think about the weight of this command. Someone who's supposed to preach the word has to do so as though they are before the face of God discharging their ministry and their duty. And this is Timothy's job, to preach the word. At the very least, we can say no one should attain to preach the word or attempt to preach the word in a casual way or simply because it looks like the next step in Christian faithfulness. The preaching of the word is to be done by those who are hemmed in to do it. It's their, it's their burden. It's their responsibility. And for Timothy, it's his responsibility. Paul says, this is your job. I charge you before God and of Christ. And then he says, be ready in good situations or bad situations. That's how I've rendered a phrase that in some Bibles are translated in good seasons or in bad seasons. Basically, it means when the going gets rough, preach the word. When things are going great and everyone loves your preaching and they love your pastoral ministry, preach the word. Do it the whole time. Not just when things are great, but also when things are terrible. And by the way, the church is usually most grateful and in need of the faithful preaching of the word of God in the face of hostility. So if you think about Luther or you think about Calvin, many of you might not know this about John Calvin, but he's known for his preaching and for his ministry today. But what a lot of people don't know if you've never read a biography on Calvin is he was, he was kicked out of Geneva after three years. So he was called to preach in Geneva. And after three years, the church was so sick of him that they kicked him out. They just removed him from his pastorate. And then he went and ministered elsewhere for a number of years before they eventually called him back because they were facing the pressure, once again, of Roman Catholicism. And they said, we need you. We need your help. And so Calvin came back and served for another 10 years 
with a hostile group in Geneva that wanted him out of the pulpit. It was just about half the people in his congregation that wanted him gone. And he did that for about 10 years before those people were eventually squelched by the city authorities. And then for the last five or so years of his ministry, you have Calvin in a church that actually likes him and wants him there. But most of his preaching, a lot of the stuff that we read from Calvin, is written in the period of time where he's facing objective hostility. And if you could look at the life of Martin Luther, his famous addresses and his famous sermons come from the time when the Roman Catholic Church was most harshly pressing upon him. Or if you think about St. Augustine's City of God, his teaching of the Word of God and how the kingdom of God functions in the kingdom of this world was done while the, while the people, the hostile invading army was at the door of Rome and ready, to, and ready to destroy Rome, the city. And he writes the City of God in that context where people are thinking, if Christianity is right and true, why is it that the Roman Empire, which is supposed to be the bastion of Christianity, losing this war and seemingly to lose their city right now? So here's Augustine writing in the face of lots of criticism. And we could go on and on with examples in church history. Actually, I'll give one more. Athanasius uh, spent most of his time expelled from the church in his ministry. Now, we know Athanasius as the one who defended Trinitarianism from the Arians, and who ultimately is hailed in church history, but he spent most of his ministry as a Christian expelled from the church because there were Arians in power that wanted him out. So they fired him from his bishop's duty. They eventually, he snuck back in. They fired him again. They kicked him out again. And for a long time, he was expelled from the empire. And he actually never saw the victory of his own confession. He actually, it was only 80 years after he had passed away that ultimately his position, Athanasian Trinitarianism, became the dominant position once again of the of the church. And so my point is, when Paul says to Timothy in season and out of season, or in good situations and bad situations, he, he's not kidding. The church has, been, has required faithful preaching in both good and bad situations. And it's more than that. Timothy's supposed to correct, uh, which means, let's say you see someone who makes a small doctrinal mistake. Good teaching is supposed to receive that and find a way to correct it. Let's say if we go to the end of that sentence, with patience and with careful instruction. Okay, so if we, if we look at each of these and we go with, with patience and careful instruction and add it back in, I think that'll help us to understand the situation, right? So you're supposed to correct with complete patience and with careful instruction, okay? That's, that's one job. You're supposed to rebuke. Now, he's probably talking about the false teachers in this context. So when he's saying, Timothy, you are to rebuke them, keep in mind, as we saw in previous weeks, with complete patience and careful instruction. Because the goal of rebuking a false teacher is to win them back to salvation. You're supposed to encourage. Uh, encourage the sheep who are in your flock. Encourage those Christians who are with, with you. And how are you supposed to encourage them? With patience and with careful instruction. Because if there's anything we know about ourselves as the people of God, is we are, we are finicky. We are in great need of care. And we are in need of oversight from shepherds who will encourage us who will point us back to truth when we live in a, a, in a mind of lies and in a world of lies. And, and we're in need of that regularly. So God calls pastors to be patient and careful in encouraging the saints back towards a right view of themselves and of their sin and of God and of his holiness and of all the responsibilities they have as, as Christians. Now, he's going to heighten this instruction because he's going to give the context in verse 3. And we've already seen this context in, in other chapters of First Timothy or Second Timothy. For there will be a time when they will not tolerate sound teaching. So, so why is Timothy supposed to do all this? Because there's coming a day, there's coming a time, there's coming a moment 
where people will not tolerate such sound teaching. Now, it's unclear what Paul's referring to. Likely, he's referring to something Timothy himself is going to see, but he also could be referring to the rest of the church history where, like I said last week, you don't need to think very hard to think about unsound teaching trying to get its way into the church. So there's going to be a time when, in this case, it's not unsound teachers coming into the church, but in this case, notice where the focus is, there will be a time when the people will no longer tolerate sound teaching. It's a different emphasis from the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3 talked about the false teachers and their desire to get into the church to deceive the church. Chapter 4, we have the church itself no longer wanting to hear the word of God and wanting to hear other things. They, they will no longer tolerate sound teaching, but they will heap up for themselves teachers according to their own desires. Teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. This is consumeristic preaching. Uh, preachers should not aim to please the people who they preach to. It might sound strange. Of course, we should aim to be faithful to and to care for the, the people who uh, were before. I, I, I want you guys to like me. But at the same time, that can't come at the cost of the, tr the truth of God's word. And uh, it's, you, you don't have to think very hard to think about Christians that you know that don't like listening to certain kind of preaching because it doesn't agree with their theology or doesn't agree with their take on God or their take on a certain sin. And so they won't go to certain churches and they won't go to certain kinds of preaching. They'll only go to other kinds of preaching which affirm the things that they already want to hear. They will heap up for themselves teachers according to their own desires because of their itching ears. And, verse 4, then they will turn their ears away from the truth, turning towards myths. So it's not just that they go towards false teaching, but they also reject the truth. I'll say a little bit about verse 5 in a moment, but um, it's hard to imagine a situation that better describes the American church than what Paul is saying here to Timothy in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Can we think about a Christian people that has more access to teaching of all stripes than the American Christian? Be hard to imagine. You have podcasts, you have books, you have radio shows, you have blah, I mean, you have just so many ways to access various kinds of Christian teaching. And then we think about that consumeristic environment that the American church has, where the members of churches or the people that go to church really steer the ship because they decide where they attend, where they go to, you know, who they, who they worship with, all that stuff. And, and then think about which churches are the largest in the United States of America. And what Paul's talking about here to, t to Timothy is very much like what we see today in the American church, where you have, yes, teachers who are teaching falsely, yes, teachers who are trying to deceive the church, but you have just as many Christians who are like, I'm sick of hearing this other theology about sin and the need for, and the need for forgiveness. I'd rather hear about how God has my best interest at heart and he loves me just the way I am. I don't need to change. So they'll go to churches where that kind of stuff is preached. And they'll stop going to churches where sin and forgiveness and repentance is preached. I think the American church can be seen, my point is, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You might know Christians who you talk to that go to churches because they like the theology of those churches even if that theology is wrong, they've selected for themselves that kind of preaching because it doesn't offend them or doesn't strike them 
against their own sin. It's, it's not hard to drive in Indianapolis and find churches with flags in front of them that proclaim a creed antithetical to the Christian sexual ethic. And that's because there's people who go to those churches and fund their ministries and say, I'd rather listen to that preaching than other kinds of preaching. All right, a little bit about verse 5, and then we'll think about how do we apply this. As for you, so this is as for Timothy, you could render this a number of different ways. I like, I like saying it this way, uh, keep your head on straight. As for you, keep your head on straight in all situations. Keep your head. Have a level head as you go and you face all these challenges. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so there's two things that Timothy is required to do, or I should say three. Enduring hardship, we've already seen that, so I'm not going to comment on it too much. He's also supposed to do the work of an evangelist. It's preaching the gospel. Okay? He's supposed to evangelize people who have not heard the gospel and point Christians who have heard the gospel back to the truth of the gospel. But notice, again, healthy preaching is more than just evangelism. It's also, as Paul says, discharging all the duties of your ministry, which is more than just teaching people about the gospel. It's also teaching them how do they love their spouse well in certain situations. How do they raise their kids in a way that honors the Lord? How do they work before the face of God in a way that honors him in their work? How do they deal with this particular sin? It might be wise to say we should pray and we should remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. True. And we should take practical steps to eradicate that sin from our lives. Pastors are supposed to do, do that kind of stuff. And by the way, if you're discipling someone, you should do that kind of thing with them as well. You don't just say, well, remember the gospel. Of course you do that. And then you take practical steps to help them. Because the work of a pastor is more than just preaching the gospel. It's also discharging all of the duties associated with that ministry. All right. So... Let's think about how do we apply this. Uh, if the healthy church has to have the word preached rightly to them, well, properly speaking, that really doesn't apply to many of you. So I think we can flip that application by one more step and say, well, what does that mean for members of a church? I, I think the, in the application strive to be the opposite of what you see in verse 3 and verse 4. You want to know as a member of a church, Christian church, how to apply this text well so you can be faithful or you can heed the warnings. Be the opposite of what verse 3 and verse 4 describes. Strive to, strive to live in such a way that you embrace sound teaching and that you heap up for yourself teachers who teach you the truth of God's word, not whatever you want to hear. Don't follow the itching of your own ears. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that every desire and inclination of your heart is wrong. But what Paul means when he says itching ears, he's saying desires contrary to the truth of God's word that you've let drive the ship now. And, and don't, turn your way ear, don't turn your ears away from the truth. So what this is describing is a church and people within the church that love the preaching of God's word, strive to demand faithful preaching from God's word and from God's ministers, and who are not satisfied with anything else. In other words, if, uh, what a healthy church will do is it will reject a pastor or preaching that doesn't meet this certain criteria. Now, that's not to say that, let's say there's a false teacher who sneaks in, 
and who starts teaching falsely that they couldn't deceive certain Christians in a healthy church. I think they certainly could. But a healthy church has an immune system to kick that stuff out eventually. It won't make its way all the way through. A compromised church will have no immune system to get rid of that. But a healthy church will be able to get rid of that stuff without, maybe even without having a pastor to kick it out. I'm not saying that's an ideal situation, but I'm saying a healthy church should be able to stand on its own feet. The membership of that church should be able to stand on its own feet. And it's doing that because the pastors and other ministers should have fed them faithfully so that they can be at a point where they can reject false teaching. It's a little bit what, like I said last week, if you're a Christian, your job isn't to rebuke false teaching or refute it. Your job is just to reject it. So looking here, your job is to reject false teaching and embrace sound teaching and to demand nothing less. And we'll look a little bit in our time of question and answer about how do you do that practically on a, on a daily basis. But if you want to know where the, where the application of this text is, if you want to strive to apply this to your own heart, verse 3 and verse 4, invert them. There's your application. Be the opposite kind of person of what this ascribes. And that is a way, a sure way, to take your own part in building a healthy Christian church. So with that, let's pray. Father, your word is true. It is good. It is living and active. And Lord, we desire to sit under your truth. Help us to not only hear your word, but hear it in such a way that we can apply it. Hear it in such a way that we love it. And Lord, any parts of it that we struggle to submit to, struggle to love, struggle to see your glory in, help us to see it. Help us to love it. Help us to embrace it and to strive for our whole lives to apply it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.